Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. To everybody sing, just a cappella, imagining what it must be in heaven at all times. Just at all times, praises are being sung to the Lord. At all times, they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At all times, it never stops because that is how magnificent this God is. It's amazing. Well, how are you this morning? Blessed, great. Look at all those good sounding voices. I'll tell you, there are a lot of people in this world today that are not doing great. There's a lot of, uh, we've talked about it pretty much every time you turn around. There's talk of all the stuff that's going on in this world, right? I mean, man, every day there's a fresh new something to look at and a fresh new something to say, what more could happen, right? What, what else could possibly go wrong? What more, Lord, as we talked about last week, how long, oh Lord, is this going to keep happening? How much more could we possibly even endure? Many people carry a lot of anxiety and stress. Did you know? that the anxiety treatment market is estimated at over $15 billion a year. $15 billion of people seeking help and relief from anxiety and stress. According to the World Health Organization, the WHO, WHO? The WHO. The World Health Organization, stress has actually been classified as the health epidemic of the 21st century. Stress. Not COVID, not the flu, not strep. Stress. People just carrying a lot of weight on their shoulders. People that are just worn out from life. Isn't that something? What do you do when you are stressed, when you're anxious, when the walls in your mind start closing in on you, when you've had yet another bad day, a lot of people say, man, I really could use a drink. I could really use a glass of wine. I could really use a cigarette. I could really use a a boxing lesson right now to punch out my stress. I could really use so on and so on and so forth. But what about as Christians? How are we supposed to handle anxiety and stress because it's very well known we're not saved from anxiety and stress right the whole church should have said amen there i get plenty anxious and stressed out myself i know so how do we deal with it how would god have us handle the stresses and the pressures of life in a manner that is both healthy and glorifying to him well, let's consider that this morning. If you would turn with us to 1 Peter. We're going to be looking in chapter 5 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you have a, a bulletin, the passage is already written there for you. And we have uh, you can kind of get an outline of where we're headed this morning. I would encourage you to use that to take some notes. Follow along. Go back and read it when you're stressed out. And let's allow God to speak to us through his word this morning. If you would stand one more time with us as we read God's word. We're going to read verses 6 through 11 from chapter 5 of 1 Peter. This is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are here in your presence this morning, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. We thank you for your written word that we can build our lives upon. And Lord, I pray that this morning that I would be nothing more than just an instrument that you would use to communicate your word to your people, to give your people what they need, Lord. I am unable to accomplish this task on my own aside from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come, work in our hearts, work through the word of God, and accomplish all your purposes this morning. In your holy name we pray, amen. You can sit down. Not long ago, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, preaching out of Second Peter, and I spoke of, um, in that message, and then again in the sermon in, in James, we saw this phrase, to the elect exiles. I bring that up because Peter opens up this book, uh, in chapter 1, stating that he is writing to the elect exiles in the dispersion that are in various places. As a reminder, what we talked about is that this is likely just a reference to Christians who are scattered about because early on the early church faced much persecution. And so they scattered about. They were spread here, there, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, all over that region. Places that we wouldn't be able to point out if we had a map in front of us. Me too. But we know that it's there. They were spread about in post-Texas, Midland, Amarillo, New York, Maine, New Hampshire. It was the elect exiles spread throughout the region. So he's talking essentially just to Christians, but not just to Christians, Christians who are experiencing great difficulty. And as such, the Apostle Peter is commonly referred to as the Apostle of Hope. Because what does a person need when they're suffering more than hope? Give me hope that this isn't going to end this way. Give me hope. Give me something to cling on to that can carry me through this situation. Now, why do we need that? Well, quite often our anxieties, our difficulties, our stresses, our sufferings catch us by surprise, don't they? I mean, how many of you in here have ever started up your day or whenever you were writing out your calendar and you said, at 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, I'm going to face an unexpected event. I need to prepare for it. Uh, nobody, not one of us, has ever been able to figure that out. Now, maybe you've gone into a meeting and you said, you know, this isn't going to go well. Right? I don't know how this is going to go I better prepare for the worst. But we don't know what's to come in our lives. We're always caught by surprise. Jesus said, in this world, you will face difficulty. You will have tribulation. You will suffer. And then when we go through it, we say, what's going on? I didn't think this was going to happen to me. I knew it would happen for Christians, but not this Christian. Right? So we're always caught off guard. That's why we're often backpedaling and we're often trying to figure out what do I do? How do I handle this? So Peter sets out to encourage the brethren to instruct them that even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, 
Our first priority is always to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do. Period. What has God called you to do? That's your first response. I don't know what to do here. The first thing you do is what God has always told you to do. Be faithful to his word. And trust him. We'll get there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. You're rushing me. I can tell some of you are hungry. (laughs) But also to look forward to the day that he comes and takes us home. That's the main hope that we always have in the midst of everything. Is that this isn't... This is temporary. As heavy, as as dark as it gets, this is temporary. And that's what he's telling these elect exiles. I know this is hard on you, but this is temporary. He's coming back for you. And whether he comes back for you first or you go meet him first, either way, your sufferings have an expiration date. Thank you, God. It won't be like this forever. Thank you, God. But who else could speak of hope if not Peter? He denied Jesus three times. After he swore that he would die for him. Not me, Lord. I'll go to the grave for you. I'll lay my life down for you. Who, Jesus? I don't know that guy. A little girl scared him off. Isn't that something? So if anybody needs hope, it's Peter. He experienced this this hope that he teaches about. Jesus even called him Satan at one point. Imagine that. Get behind me, Satan. What in the world? I thought I was your disciple. Yet Jesus says to him in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. We don't see it in English, but he calls him Petros, which is a Greek word for rock. So he calls Peter the most unstable apostle, He calls him a solid rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church, Peter. So if anybody can speak of hope and encouragement, it's Peter. Undoubtedly, Peter took these words to heart. He knew this hope of ours very well. So now he takes to turning and strengthening his brothers in the dispersion. By by extension, all the rest of us, are the elect exiles in the dispersion. Why? Because this is not our home. Our home is heaven, the new heaven, the new earth. We are just citizens. We are passing by, passing through this earth. So by extension, you and I are also in the dispersion, waiting for the day when the Lord takes us where we belong. Our immediate context here in chapter 5 is is Peter making his closing statements. And as you saw in our reading, we have a very important word right towards the beginning, therefore. This word is connecting us to the last statement he made in the previous paragraph. I want you to look at it in verse 5. The very last statement he says is, God opposes the proud but gives grace to to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. What is he saying? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, humble yourself. It only stands to reason, does it not? Do you want to be opposed by the Lord? Of course not. Humble yourself. Do you want God to give you grace? Of course you do. Humble yourself. This is another concept that Peter would be all too familiar with. There is an incident in Mark chapter 9 where the disciples are walking behind Jesus, headed to a certain place, and they're arguing amongst one another, who is the greatest disciple? Can you imagine that? You're walking behind God in the flesh, and your focus is on you? Who's the greatest among us? Yeah, Jesus is over there, whatever. Uh, who's the greatest out of us, though? I've, I have helped 15 people. How many have you? Well, 17. Well, look at us. Aren't we great? And Jesus quickly humbles them when they get to their destination. He says, no, guys, you got it all wrong. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the least. If you want to be first, you need to be last. 
If you want to go high, you need to go low. So Peter knows this very well. He knows of this humility that we must go through. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of men. We value confidence, hubris, even a level of conceit. We call it swagger. He carries himself with swagger. God opposes the proud. We must, we must aim for humility before the Lord. In due time, for the humble, he will happily exalt you. But for the proud, in due time, he will also happily humble you. Before I get ahead of myself, let's first deal with this word, anxieties. Your word might say cares or concerns in your Bible. But what are these concerns and cares? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to just read one verse out of there. It's a passage that you're very familiar with. But Matthew chapter 6 I believe we get some insight as to what he's talking about here. Matthew chapter 6, and it's just verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What are the cares and anxieties of this world? Your life. What am I going to eat? How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to put food in the fridge? My children need this, that, and the other. And we have $18 left in the account. What am I going to do? What does Jesus say? Don't be anxious about that stuff. What? Are you kidding me? Don't be anxious about this stuff. I mean, how, how am I supposed to not be anxious when all I think about is my anxiety? All I can think about are these cares and these concerns. All I can think about is COVID. Parents, you're feeling it right now, aren't you, with sending your children back to school? That's a bit of a pinch. I hope they don't catch the virus. I hope they learn. I hope they can still have a normal childhood somehow. When they're used to seeing, they're growing up watching people wear masks, people fight about masks, we're nervous, we're anxious, we're stressed. And on top of that, you just have all the rest of the things going on in your life. These are the cares and the anxieties of the world. Money problems is probably the biggest stressor for everybody. No matter what number you see in your bank account, you want that number to be bigger. Whether it's 10 cents or $10,000, you want it to be bigger. But do you know what the biggest lie we believe in those situations is? Is that if I have more money, it'll fix my problems. If I have more Money, it will fix, it will cure what ails me. Then I won't be anxious anymore because I will have my needs provided for. I just need a bigger number. It's a lie. If my problems are money problems, we think that money will solve the problem. We check the bank, we check the bank, we check the bank, and 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 check the bank. Why isn't that number moving? It's only going down, it's only going down, and it's only going down. I'm stressed. How are we going to make ends meet? And we think that if I just have more, I won't be stressed. Then I can devote more time to God then I can devote more time to my family. Then I can devote more time to uh, studying the word. Then I can devote more time to making friends. If I could just have more money, I could pay my bills. I could get the bigger house. I could take that vacation. 
I could buy that purse. I could buy this, that, and the other, more and more things. Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's from the parable of the four soils. Only one of the four soils bore fruit. And you know which one of them did not? The one that was choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Our passage here says anxieties. In Matthew 13, it says cares, but it's the same word in the original language. It's the exact same word. He's saying that stuff chokes out the word. Why do you think Jesus then says, don't be anxious? Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what's going to happen tomorrow. Why? Because it chokes out the word. I am more concerned with the word bearing fruit in the soil of your heart than if whether or not your electricity stays on tomorrow. Why? Because five seconds into eternity, you will not care about LPNL. You will not care about your mortgage. You won't care. You know why? Because it will be time to either walk into the glories of heaven or go into eternal punishment. Then all of a sudden you will have wished if you allowed the cares of the world to choke out the word, you will have wished that you didn't. I wish that I would have given as much effort towards fighting these cares and concerns off of me as I did fighting them. As I did fighting what God told me to do. If I would spend as much time running to the Lord as I do running from Him, I'd be a prophet. Right? I would be the most learned theologian. So is the human nature. This is how we are. So what are the cares and anxieties of this world? Let's make it very simple. Anything that you will not care about in heaven. Is that a fair assessment? Because it's the cares of this world. You know what's included in that? Everything. Everything that does not have an eternal consequence. Everything that I'm not going to care about anymore when I see the Lord face to face, that's the cares of this world. What does the word say? Don't stress about that. Sure, Bible. Don't stress. Have you seen my workload? Have you seen what I'm carrying? Look at verse 8 of our passage. It says that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Gabby and I love to watch nature shows, and one of the things that we always see is that the lion, the predator, is not stupid. They wait, and they're very patient. And oftentimes, the, it's always a British narrator They'll always say, this little lion hasn't eaten in four years. Is that a good British accent? What was that? It was Australian. Okay, mate. I'm not an actor. <laughs> but they'll say that he hasn't eaten in four years. And you'll still see the lion just waiting, licking his lips, but waiting. Why? Because he's going to wait for the right time. I'm going to wait till that weak one is just far enough away. And what do they do? They hide in the bushes. They disguise themselves. They know. They know what they're capable of. They know their, their enemy very well as well. They know their victim very well. They know their habits. 
They know that if I just go attack the big herd, the big herd's going to turn and stomp me out. But if I wait just long enough for that weak one to be so distracted by the cares of this world that they stop turning to the Lord, that he stops praying, that he starts talking all all about just what's stressing him, that he stops focusing on the Lord, that he stops getting around the brothers, that he stops, 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 then I can get him. Let me just distract him with the deceitfulness of riches. Let me just distract him with the cares of this world. How am I going to put food on the plate? The more we think about that, we become food on the plate for our enemy. He comes and devours you. Now, many people think that this means that he wants to come and kill you. But if he kills you when you're still strong in your faith, what good has that served him? Because you just go off into heaven and you're with the Lord forever. He didn't win there. No, what he wants to kill is your faith. He wants you to dry up. Stop caring about the things of God. Get focused on the wrong things. Your heart dries. That's what he wants to kill. He wants to kill your faith. He wants to kill your passion. He wants to kill your love for the Lord. He wants you to start seeing church as, a, as an obligation. Start seeing reading the word as just something else I've got to do that I don't have time for. I want that because that's the weak one that I'll come and devour. You don't care if you live 200 years on this earth. You could care less about killing you. He wants your faith. He wants your heart. What does the word say? Beware. Beware. These anxieties, these stresses we face in our life do nothing but weigh us down. Back in Matthew 6, Jesus asked, And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Has anyone ever done that? Anybody? Show show of hands. Have you ever stressed out so much that you added one minute to the end of your life? Or one minute to a 24-hour day? Anybody? Wow, really? Nobody. I'm shocked. I've tried really hard, I'll tell you that. I've tried really hard. If I just sit here and stress enough, maybe I'll get more time. It doesn't ever work, does it? He's telling us that being anxious like this serves no purpose. Our anxiety changes nothing except for our mood, how we treat other people, and how we begin to look at God. No one, after having been stressed out about something for hours or days or weeks or months, has ever said, I'm just so glad that I did that. All those sleepless nights, all all that stress. I'm so glad that I've lost hair because I was so stressed and anxious. I'm so glad I mistreated my wife because of how stressed out I was. Oh, I'm just so glad that I punched a hole in that wall. What a great thing that was for me to do. No one's ever said that, right? Instead, we often end up having to apologize. Man, I really wish I hadn't spent so much time being focused on the wrong thing. I missed my children growing up. I missed time with my friends. I missed time with the Lord. All I've done is spend so much time growing cold and callous because of my stress. This happens because we are not casting our cares upon him. Instead, we're carrying them. We think this word says, carry your anxieties because the Lord doesn't care for you. Friends, that's a weight we were never meant to carry. These weights don't help us run the race. 
In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the question that we need to ask is this. Will this stress, anxiety, care, and concern, and worry Help me to run the race of faith. Will it help me to be shaped and molded into the image of Christ? Will it help me to get closer to God? What will the answer be 100% of the time? No. Absolutely it will not. It will only do the opposite. So what we learn here is that to hold on to our anxieties, to not cast them upon the Lord, actually is pride. That's what he says in verse 6, right? Humble yourselves, casting your anxieties on God. Humble yourselves. That is what's so shocking to me about this text. If you have most Bibles, except for the NIV and the NLT, Verse 6 and verse 7 are one sentence. There's a comma at the end of verse 6, and verse 7 continues on. What does that mean? It means that it's one unit of thought. It means that what Peter is writing is humble yourselves by casting your anxieties on him. Isn't that just bizarre? We don't often think about humility in reference to casting our anxieties on the Lord. We don't often think about our stress and our our being so worried as pride. I know I don't. I don't think about it that way. What do we think about? How am I going to fix this? How, How am I going to do this, that, and the other? How am I, 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 what's at the middle of pride? I, me, 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 what do I need to do? Or the adverse of this is self-pity. Oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. What are we doing in both situations is we're just magnifying ourself. We're just magnifying either our inability or our sadness or our brokenness. And that's all we do is just focus on ourselves. And what does this word say? That's pride. Humble yourself, therefore. Because God opposes the prideful. He gives grace to the humble. You see, it would have been easy for these Christians in the early church to allow the stresses and anxieties of what they were going through to cause them to be prideful and say, you know what, God isn't doing what I want him to do or what I expect him to do or what I wish he would do. I'm going to take this matters in my own hand. Instead of suffering for the cause of Christ, I'm going to push back against our enemies. Instead of waiting on the Lord, I'm going to run. It would have been easy. And isn't it easy for you and me when we are going through difficulty to turn to anything and everything except for God? We're quick to call a friend. We're quick to call this person or to do this or to do that. And the very last thing on our minds is, oh, yeah, maybe I should pray. Oh, yeah, maybe I should Do that casting my anxiety stuff. And we wonder why we're stressed and why we're anxious and why we feel so far from the Lord. Not going to Him. Humbling yourself means that you come to the end of yourself and you come face to face with the reality that you know what, I'm not enough to do this. But I don't have to be because God is. I'm not strong enough to handle this. 
but I don't have to be because God is. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but you know what? Maybe I don't have to know because God does. I don't know when this is going to end, but I don't have to know because God does. Consider Christ's example. Christ humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, did he not? Consider the Garden of Gethsemane. What did Jesus tell the disciples? I am anguished. I am in, my soul is tormented even to death. Have you ever felt that way? But what did he do? He went to the garden. He fell on his knees before the Father, brought him all his hurt, all of his anguish, all of his anxiety and stress of the flesh and brought it before him. And he asked, Father, if there's any other way, please, please make a way. But nevertheless, not my will, your will. That is humility. Not what I want, God. What I want is to run. What I want is to bail. Not what I want, your will be done in my life. Humble yourself. Consider Christ. He got up, went into his captor's hands, was beat, flogged, went to the cross, mercilessly humiliated. You know what Isaiah 53 says? He went quietly as a lamb to the slaughter. Why? How could he possibly be quiet? You mean he wasn't crying and kicking and screaming? No. Why? Because he said, not my will, Father, yours. And he knew it had to be this way. And so it is in our lives. We must trust his will, knowing that he knows better than I do. I don't get it. I'm confused. And you know what? You might never figure it out. But can you come to the end of yourself and say, not my will, yours? The real danger with stress, anxiety, worry, and fear These do have a negative impact on our bodies, on our relationships, on our emotions. But the real danger is the spiritual toll it takes on you. If you think for a moment that you can carry anxiety and stress in the same heart and mind as a heart and mind that is loving God with all of its heart and mind and soul and body and strength, you are greatly deceived. can't. You can't be stressed and joyful. Why? Because he said to cast your anxieties on him. Get rid of those. Why? So that you can enjoy God again. I'll tell you personally, any time that I have ever felt stressed and anxious and worried and fearful and that I was just carrying it around, was drying up. Reading the Bible, I didn't have time. I'm too busy. I've got 1,800 things I need to get done. Prayer, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for waking me up. All right, we'll see you later. Might pray before a meal. God, thank you for this meal. All right, let's eat real fast. Let's go. You ever been there? Were you able to enjoy God in that season? No. No. At all. It was a chore. It was a duty. It was a to-do. It was a task. And I believe, I am thoroughly convinced that that is one of Satan's greatest schemes. is to get your eyes off of the joy of the Lord. Why? The joy of the Lord is your strength. How does Satan make you weak? He takes your joy from you. I'm not happy about God anymore. 
I'm not happy to open this book and read it and say, wow, look at you, God. Look at what your word says. Look at what you've done for me. I can't be joyful because I'm burdened under the stress and anxiety of my life. What is God saying? Bring it to me. Give that to me. You're not meant to carry that. You're not strong enough. Let me have it. I know what to do. When we are in this position, in this state of mind, watch out, because we are primed and ready to be devoured by the adversary. So what do we do? Quickly, don't be shocked by this number. We're going to look at seven. Seven attacks against anxiety. And these are just quick points. Verse 6a, number one, humble yourself. Know this, though we think it a a badge of honor to be independent, we cannot be independent of God. Christian maturity is evidenced by a growing awareness of just how dependent I am on God for everything. Number two, cast your cares on the Lord. That's from verse 7, section A. Know this, we don't serve the God of all worry or the God of all distress and anxiety. We serve the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions. Yes, I know that some of the things that weigh the heaviest on us are small matters to other people, But nowhere in this Bible is it written, only bring me your hard stuff. Only bring me your big problems. Keep the other stuff for yourself. Don't waste my time. I'm God. It doesn't say that. It says, cast all your anxieties on him. Every last one of them. What does that mean? Children, students, God, I need your help passing this test. God, I need your help to make friends in school this year. I don't want to be alone. Parents, God, I need your help tying my child's shoes. I don't know how to do any of this without you, Jesus. Please help me. Rest assured that no one will stand before Christ and hear You are far too dependent on me in your lifetime. We won't hear that at all. Number three, trust his love. Verse seven, section B. You can do all of this because God cares for you. He says, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You are important to the most important person in the universe. Imagine that. Christian, the Lord cares about you. He cares what's going on in your heart, and he has open arms and open ears saying, come and tell me about it. Bring me those anxieties, my child. Let me carry them for you. Trust that God really does mean to work all things out for your good and his glory. Another sign of Christian maturity is realizing that everything that happens to me in my life is meant to either bring me closer to Jesus or make me more like Jesus, which ends up being bringing me closer to Jesus. Everything. Number four, be sober-minded and watchful. It's from verse 8, section A. When we are stressed and anxious and worried or stretched thin, that is when we are the most vulnerable. So surround yourself with good Christian friends who love you enough to tell you the truth. Friend, you're messing up. Friend, Give these anxieties to God. You're not strong enough to carry this. Friend, 
Why are you going this direction? This is not what you learned about Christ. But don't just surround yourself with those friends. Be that friend. Be that friend who loves your friends enough to tell them the truth about the word. Why? Because you care. And you don't want them to be devoured. You want them to be free to love and enjoy God. Be ever alert that your enemy is devoted 24-7 to devouring you and he's patient and he knows what he's doing. Number five, resist the enemy. This is from verse 9, section A. It says, thus resist the enemy. Don't allow his schemes to work in your life. He knows how to get to you. He knows how to push your buttons. He's been watching your life. But most, more than that, he knows human nature. He got Adam and Eve to fall this long into human history. He knows what he's doing. You have to be alert and be on guard and resist him. He knows how to cause issues and stress and division. But more than that, he loves it. You aren't supposed to fight against him or to yell at him. It simply says to resist him. How? By standing firm in the faith. That's number six. That's from verse nine, section B. You fight, you resist the devil. How? By standing firm in the faith. Stand firm in what you know to be true about God. That song that we sang, the first song we sang, says, I will preach the gospel to myself. I don't need a preacher. I don't need Pastor Matt. I don't need John MacArthur or Paul Washer or any of these other guys. I will preach the gospel to myself. If you've got to go to the mirror and preach the gospel to yourself, do it. Remind yourself of the Lord, hold to him, cling fast to him, go often before the Lord in prayer, saturate your mind with his word, listen to, to good Christian podcasts, listen to sermons, download the Dwell app and just play the Bible, whatever you have to do to saturate your mind with God's word. And then number seven, Wait on him. It's from verse 6, section B, and verse 10. But in verse 6, he said, at the proper time. So you might be saying, this is easier said than done, Pastor. Guess what? You would be wrong. It's impossible. You can't do any of this stuff. What? You can't do any of this stuff on your own. That's why he says to humble yourself. You need the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because God will never call his children to be obedient to something. that He will not also give you the power and the strength and the desire to do. It's Philippians 2.13 if you want to look that up. If you are in Christ this morning, he has given you all that you need to live a life in accordance with his word. You just need to wait on him under his mighty hand. This might be the hardest of all of these. I'm very well aware of that. Trust me, I'm a professional stressor. No one likes to wait, and it's especially hard to wait on the Lord's timing because we have no clue when he'll say it's time. You'll have to resist every inclination in your body to jump ship, but just wait. Wait on him. Resolve in your heart that you will not move until he moves. Why? Because those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Stand.
As I said, this is impossible to do on your own. It is only by the empowering of the Holy Spirit that you can do this. Therefore, if you have not ever come to know Christ, I want you to know this morning that all of us, at one time or another, stand under a burden that we cannot bear up. We owe the Lord a debt that we cannot pay because of our sin. But the Lord sent Jesus Christ in love to this earth to be born as fully God and fully man and live a life of righteousness, fulfilling the righteous requirement of God's law on your behalf. In other words, he was good for you when you can't be good. He went to the cross. He bore your sins and my sins. And he died on that cross, extinguishing the wrath of God that was meant for you and for me. And he was resurrected on the third day. He sits right now enthroned in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And he has been given the name above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you will call upon him as Lord, repent of your sins, believe the gospel, you shall be saved. Then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit's power to live this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for making a way for us when there seems to be no way. I thank you for making a way for us to battle against anxiety and stress in our lives and live lives that are just joyful and happy in you, Lord. I pray that you empower us to live this out in our life this week and in the weeks to come, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.